The saints are to be perfected so they can do the work of the ministry. It is not true that the pastor is to do the, all the work of the ministry. He can't. He's one person. He cannot do the work of ten men. He can do the work of one man. Take your Bible this evening and open to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. We're going to continue in our study on spiritual gifts and we've been dealing with the uh, subject of tongues. Um, we say it again that the tongues spoken today are nothing like the tongues spoken in the New Testament. The tongues in the New Testament were a, a, a sign gift. They were, they were given for a specific purpose, a job to do. Today, of course, in modern charismatic and Pentecostal circles mainly, um, tongues, in, at least in the, the, the Christian corridor of religion, um, the tongues are being used as a uh, means of um, helping one to draw closer to the Lord. And uh, this is never what biblical tongues was meant for. I know that, that uh, there's a lot of tongue speakers in the world, all over the world today, I know that. And we'll probably never convince most of them of the biblical truth. But the bottom line is that if someone wants to believe in tongues, that's up to them. But they won't be able to justify it biblically. They can take verses out of context. They can take verses and twist them and try and make the verse say what they want it to say. They can add to Scripture, but they'll never be able to justify the modern tongue speaking by the Bible. And it's very important that we understand this. Now, I've been studying uh, the subject of tongues for about 47 years, uh, right after I got saved. Um, two little old ladies came to me and said, well, now you, you, want to, you want everything God wants for you, don't you? And I said, of course I do. And so they tried to introduce me into tongues. And it got me uh, studying, researching and studying about tongues. And so 47 years later, here I am, and I still don't believe that the modern tongues, no matter whose lips they come from, I still don't believe that uh, they're of God. You say, then, if they're not of God, where are they from? Well, maybe you should fill in that blank. I suppose there's two or three different ways in which uh, modern tongues can um, have their origin, but uh, it's not. It's not in God's program. So we'll have a word of prayer. Oh, I guess I should say this. Please understand that in all our discussion, we are not trying to put down or mock or ridicule anyone. Some people and some very nice people believe in tongues. I think that they're very sincere. They're sincerely wrong, I believe, but they're very sincere. And many of them are very nice people. They make nice uh, friends. Um, they're saved people who are uh, involved with tongues. And... Um, all you can do is just point out, well, what does the Bible say? And it takes more than one sermon to understand what tongues are all about. It's like if you wanted to become an automotive engineer. It's going to take more than one lesson. Supposing you wanted to learn to fly an airplane. It's going to take you more than one lesson. And tongues is a, a deeper subject, and we need to spend several lessons on it. But the good news is that if we take our time, 
and we look at it carefully, we really can come to a knowledge of the truth. And once we find it, let's stand upon it. Um, so, I guess, having said that, let's pray, and then I've got some stuff here for you. Once more, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would use the Holy Spirit tonight in our hearts and lives. And again, Father, you know our hearts. We're not trying to do any kind of holier than thou or, or anything like that, because the truth is we're all just sinners saved by your grace. And if it wasn't for your grace, we'd be in hell. So Lord, we're not trying to nitpick. We're not trying to start arguments. We want to know the truth. We want to know what the Bible actually says. And so help us to do that. Help us to all have um, sanctified minds and thinking. Help us to realize that uh, you're not playing games with us, that it's very plain and evident what the Bible says. So help us to learn that tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as you know, the church of Corinth was royally messed up in many ways, and this idea of tongues was one of them. Now, I have a little excerpt here from a book by a guy named Doug Batchelor, and he wrote a book called Understanding Tongues. And I'd like to read this little excerpt for you. It'll take a couple of minutes, but listen to what he has to say. He says, My exposure to this charismatic tongues team reminded me of some things that I had read in my history books growing up. This modern manifestation of tongues finds its roots not in the Bible, but rather in ancient pagan spiritualistic rituals. In the 6th century B.C., the Oracle of Delphi was housed in a temple built near the foot of Mount uh, Parnassus. Delphi was also sacred to Dionysus, the god associated with wine, fertility, and sensual dance, and to the nine muses, patron goddesses of music. While exhilarating music was played, uh, Pythia, the chief priestess, would breathe intoxicating vapors, go into a frenzied trance, and then begin jabbering. The weird sounds the priestess muttered were then interpreted by a priest who usually spoke in verse. That's something like poetic. Her utterances were regarded as the words of Apollo, but the messages were so ambiguous they could seldom be proven wrong. While living with the Native Americans in New Mexico, I witnessed a similar ritual several times. The Indians would eat the hallucinogenic peyote, then sit in a circle and chant and pound drums for hours. Before long, several were spasmodically muttering as they experienced their tormenting visions. Today, the charismatic churches are by far the most popular among the Native Americans, because it is such an easy and natural transition from their old religions. Among many heathen African tribes, in order to invoke the blessings of their gods, the people would sacrifice a chicken or goat and then dance around a fire for long hours, chanting songs to the hypnotic rhythm of a pounding drum. Eventually, some of the people would become possessed by their gods and begin speaking the eerie languages of the spirit world. Then the local witch doctor or priest would translate the messages. This ritual is still practiced today among the voodoo Catholics in the West Indies. This pagan practice first found its way into North American Christian churches in the early 1800s. Many of the African slaves who were brought to America and forced to accept Christianity 
were unable to read the Bible for themselves. Even though they came from a variety of tribes in Africa, one practice most tribes held in common was the spirit dances with the spirit-possessed person muttering. The slaves mistakenly associated this with the Christian gift of tongues and began to incorporate a modified version into their meetings. These frantic services, which were accompanied by heavy rhythmic music, began to spread at first only in the South, and the participants were mocked by the mainline denomination as holy rollers. Some even went so far as to grab venomous serpents during their possessed trances as a means of proving that they had the Spirit. The national expansion of the Pentecostal movement among Caucasians began in Los Angeles at the Apostolic Faith Gospel Mission on Azusa Street in 1906. The leader was a uh, former holiness preacher named William Seymour. From there, leaders continued to refine the doctrines and make them more attractive and palatable to other mainline Christians. It's important to note the prominent role music plays in all the pagan religions that practice glossolalia. That is a fancy word uh, for speaking in tongues. Glossolalia. Their counterfeit gift of tongues first found its foothold in mainline churches through baptized pagan music and worship styles. The dominant repetitious rhythms and syncopated beat disarm the higher reasoning powers and put the subconscious mind in a hypnotic state. In this vulnerable condition, the spirit of ecstatic utterances finds easy access. And again, that is a quote from a book by Doug Batchelor entitled Understanding Tongues. Now, with your Bible open at 1 Corinthians, I think I mentioned chapter 12. If you could just turn the page to chapter 14 and look once again at verse number 22. <clears throat> Would you read that out loud with me, please? Verse 22 of chapter 14. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So the Apostle Paul spoke of two spiritual gifts, both of them temporal. One was tongues, the other was prophesying. Now he says in verse 22, wherefore, it's a throwback here to verse 21, and it's a quote out of Isaiah 28 and Isaiah 33. God was going to judge his people for their wickedness and their sin. And the way he was going to do it is he was going to bring the Assyrians upon them. And they were going to speak Assyrian. And the Jews of Israel had no idea what they were talking about. It was like muttering, jabbering gibberish in their ears. But that was the sign of the judgment coming. And here in verse 22, we're told then in the New Testament, the tongues in the New Testament were a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. And of course, we learned also earlier in Corinthians that it's the Jews that require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. The Jews require a sign. Now, we're not going to rehash a whole bunch of what we've already learned. If you've missed any lessons, they're online. You can go back and watch them. But I do want to look once again in chapter 12, and I want you to look in verse 8, and I want you to see here that there are nine gifts mentioned in verses 8, 9, and 10. Nine 
gifts mentioned. If you just start in verse 8, I'll name them for you. You can see them. And we'll go down to verse 10. There's the word of wisdom. You might want to underline these in your Bible. There's the word of knowledge. There's faith. There's the gifts of healing. Again, it's plural. Individual healings as God bestowed them. Uh, Number five was the working of miracles. Number six was prophecy. Essentially, the foretelling of what people didn't know, like future events. Number seven, discerning of spirits. Number eight, the diverse kinds of tongues. There's the speaking in tongues. And number nine, the interpretation of tongues. Now, if you go to verse 28, you will find... One, two, three, eight more. I think we got that right. Yeah, eight more. So in verse 28, we have apostles, we have prophets, we have teachers, we have miracles, we have gifts of healing. Now, both miracles and gifts of healing, they're repeats from uh, earlier in this chapter, from verses 8 to 10. Those are repeats and then helps, and then governments, and then diversities of tongues. That's another repeat of the the tongues. And so out of the the list here, that's 17. There were 9 and 8. That's 17 gifts that are mentioned in this chapter. Now out of those 17, three of them were repeats. um, In verse 28, miracles, gifts, and and tongues, they're repeats of what he already said before. So um, there were ten temporal gifts. Those temporal gifts are no longer needed. They are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the gifts of healing, although God still does heal. He still does heal. But these modern faith healers are not it. That, That has nothing to do with God's way. And so... Uh, the working of miracles, let me see, that's one, two, three. Working of miracles was four. Prophecy, that's five. Discerning of spirits is six. Uh, Diverse kinds of tongues, seven. Interpretation of tongues, eight. And then in verse 28, apostles, nine. And prophets, ten. So there are ten temporal gifts. And so out of the list of 17, there's only four permanent gifts that are still here. Those four are faith, Teachers, helps, and governments. Um, 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 um. We are going to go at this point to Romans chapter 12. There are three books in the New Testament that deal with spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. And so we're going now to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to see seven gifts listed here in Romans chapter 12. So in chapter 12, we'll pick up here in verse 6, 6 to 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. And remember, we learned from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's the Holy Spirit who gives the gifts severally as He will. It's according to the will of God. Um, Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. 
He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation. That word dissimulation means a disguise or concealment. So that means let your Christian love be open. Let other people see Christ's love in you. So let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Um, Be kindly affectioned one toward another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. And so we see here that these words in 9 and 10 are given right on the heels of the spiritual gifts. And we've already learned uh, in a couple of different verses that spiritual gifts are not given for personal profit. Spiritual gifts are given so we can serve the Lord. Uh, The Lord is the one who promised He'd build His church. And so over the years, as God's different churches get started, they start to grow. And God gets certain people saved. He brings other Christians in and so on. And He adds to the local church as He sees fit. Every local church is like a family or like a body of which Christ is the head. Now, the normal human body needs a few parts. We need two legs. We need two arms. We need two feet. We need two hands, two eyes, two ears. Uh, We need different body parts and so on. Even our feet require those little toes. Without the toes, we'd have a difficult time walking, running, um, holding our ground in a strong wind or if someone pushed us. You need your toes for these things. The hands need the fingers and so on. We even need our fingernails to help us be able to grip, grip things, pick things up. We need our fingernails. So what the Lord Jesus does for all of His churches as the church is humble and waiting upon the Lord and trying to serve the Lord and praying and doing what He asks us to do, He adds to the church. And then He gifts the Christians with the right gift so that the church now can minister to itself and can reach out very effectively. And some churches are far more effective than other churches. Now there are different reasons for that. One of the underlying reasons, of course, is selfishness and sin. Any church that um, thinks more of itself than the mission field, for example, they're going to become an ingrown toenail. And uh, the church is going to um, shrivel down and uh, people will be saying, well, bless God, you know, we still have ten people. And then it's going to shrivel and they're going to say, well, us four, no more. You see, then they finally die. The Lord wants His church to be about the Lord's business, which is the Great Commission, local and worldwide. And when we stop, when we get out of the business of the Great Commission, that's when we become a social club. The Lord Jesus doesn't need social clubs. He needs churches. And so the churches are made up of Christian people, and uh, those Christian people all have spiritual gifts. Now, not tonight, But in a subsequent study, we're going to start learning how to discern what kind of spiritual gifts we have. We'll give you some some ideas and things to look for. And if you seem, you know, like you've got a heart in this direction, well, it may mean that you've got this or these spiritual gifts. If you have a heart in this direction, it may mean these other spiritual gifts. But remember, when you determine what your spiritual gift is, you're supposed to use it, right? Um, remember I told you those two little old ladies that came up to me when I was a brand new Christian? Remember that? Well, one of them told me 
that God gives spiritual gifts. And then she said, if you don't use it, he'll take it back. Well, I didn't know any better. I hadn't read the Bible where it says that the, calling, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God doesn't take back. He, he gives, and if we don't use it, well, one day we're going to stand before him and he's going to, well, why didn't you use the, the gifts I gave you? You see? So it's important that we find out what they are, don't you think? Yeah, sure. So here in um, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8, we find seven gifts. And I'll read them again, and you can underline them if you like. The first was prophecy, there in uh, uh, verse number 6. That was a temporary gift. And then ministry, that's a permanent gift. Uh, Teaching is a permanent gift, but it's already mentioned in our overall list. We're going to build an overall list here. So that one's a permanent gift, but we already mentioned that. Exhortation, exhorting. That means to thoroughly urge, and some people have that ability. Now, I don't mean that it's a nattering, you know, and they shake their finger at you and shame on you and they, they're, they're, they're always on your case. That's not exhortation. The, the spiritual gift of exhortation is where they can look you in the eye and give you a good biblical um, urging to do the right thing. And then you feel something in your spirit because it's the Holy Spirit using that gift. So we'll talk again about that later. And then there's the gift of giving. And some, some people have this, and it's a marvelous gift, the gift of giving. Uh, the gift of ruling, gift of mercy. And so out of this list of seven, one is a repeat, that's teaching. One is temporal, that's prophecy. And so there's five permanent gifts here. Now, something I want you to, uh, to know And that is the city of Corinth was different than the city of Rome. Well, you already know that. But I'll tell you, what you might not know is the number of Jews that were in Rome compared to those in Corinth. The city of Corinth was approximately 400,000 people. It could have been more. Historians don't exactly know. But they guesstimate it's around that. 400,000. It really was a huge city and a very wealthy city. Remember I mentioned to you that they had the temple of Aphrodite. And in the temple, they had 1,000 ladies that worked as temple prostitutes. They called them priestesses. Now, you don't need 1,000 prostitutes in the temple if you have a little city of 50 people. Corinth was a monster big city. And so they needed this huge amount of prostitutes. I know that's a worldly way of looking at it, but they were worldly people, folks. And the Temple of Aphrodite was big business. And people loved that thing. And so it catered to a a lot of sailors, I imagine. Anyhow, the city of Corinth was a big city of some 400,000 or more people. And the city of Corinth had a lot of Jews in it. There were a lot of Jewish men, women, families, and so on. There were synagogues in there. There was a lot of Jews. The population of Jews in Corinth was really high. But the population of Jews in Rome was very, very small. And yet Rome was a city of maybe a million people. It was probably the biggest city in the then known world. And yet it only had a few Jews in it. Now how can that be? 
I'll show you. And the Bible tells us. If you turn back to the book of Acts, chapter number 18. Acts chapter number 18. Let's see here. Verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. There's the city of Corinth. And found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because that Claudius, Claudius was the emperor, he reigned from 41 to 54 A.D. Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. He kicked them all out. So the number of Jews in the city of Rome, a million people, was very, very small. Now you might be wondering, Pastor, what are you getting at? Here's what I'm getting at. In the book of Romans, there are seven gifts listed and tongues is not mentioned. Why? Because there were no Jews there. There were no or very, very few Jews at Rome. Interesting, isn't it? The city of Corinth. A huge amount of Jews. Tongues is mentioned and taught and explained in Corinthians, but it's not in Romans. And Rome was at least twice the size of Corinth. So why wasn't tongues ever dealt with in the book of Romans? That's a wonderful book. If you know anything about the New Testament, there are two major books in the New Testament that if you can conquer these books, you will understand Old Testament and New Testament. One is the book of Romans. If you understand the book of Romans, you will understand New Testament theology and doctrine. You will understand it. And what's the name of the second book? Anyone know? I think someone said it. It starts with the letter H. Hebrews. You learn the book of Hebrews and you'll understand the Old Testament. So Romans, you'll understand the New Testament. Hebrews, you'll understand the Old Testament. Now, not every single thing there is in the Old Testament, but you'll get the whole overview for sure. But isn't it interesting? Here's an interesting observation we've made tonight. That in the city of Corinth, they had a huge population of Jews. And we have three chapters of the Word of God devoted to straighten out this matter of tongues. In the city of Rome, easily twice the size of Corinth. No mention of tongues whatsoever. Because there was hardly any Jews. Isn't that interesting? All right. Now from here we're going to go to the book of Ephesians. So turn to the right after 1st, 2nd Corinthians. Galatians and Ephesians. And I want you to go to chapter 4. Now, let's see. We're going to go to chapter 4 and verse number 11. Um... Eleven. In verse 11, we have the gifts given. Now remember, I mentioned to you there are three chapters 
in the New Testament that deal with spiritual gifts. What's the, what's the first chapter? We, we started with it. What is it? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What's the second chapter? Romans chapter 12. And this is the third chapter. Ephesians chapter 4. These are the three chapters in all the New Testament that deal with the spiritual gifts that God gives to the Christians. And so here, in chapter 4 and verse 11, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And if you look at the next verse, here it is again. Here's why he gave them. For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Let me explain. The saints are to be perfected. That means mended, put together, strengthened. The saints are to be perfected so they can do the work of the ministry. It is not true that the pastor is to do all the work of the ministry. He can't. He's one person. He cannot do the work of ten men. He can do the work of one man. It's not God's will for the human body to be totally dependent upon the right index finger. Now that right index finger can do many things. It can make phone calls, right? It can thumb through pages. It can point. Hmm? It can answer a, a table for how many? One. <laughs> you know, the index finger can do many things. But the index finger cannot facilitate walking. No one that I've ever heard of can walk on one index finger. I don't even think they could walk on two, can they? I don't know. But you get the idea. We need other things to do the walking. We need the feet to do the walking. You know, the finger, in fact, the hands are great, but they're not meant to do all the walking. The feet are meant to do the walking. You get the idea and so, the idea here in verse uh, 11 and 12 is that Jesus gave these gifts to the church so that the saints could be perfected so that now they can do the work of the ministry and here's the end result for the edifying of the body of Christ. The local church is the body of Christ. The spiritual gifted Christians are to minister to the body so that the body becomes perfected. Everyone's got a job to do. If you're born again, there's a job for you to do. That's the bottom line. So we, ha- we must never lose sight of that. Now, let's talk about Ephesus, to which this uh, book here was written. Ephesus was a, a, a city of approximately 200,000 people. And again, a very small number of Jews. There were Jews in Ephesus, but very small. If you go back to Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter number 19, and let's see, in verse 8, 
And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, if you look at verse 1, here Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. So he's in the city of Ephesus. And so he goes into the synagogue. And so we know there was a synagogue. If there's a synagogue, there's Jews. But they're not tripping all over the place. According to history, uh, and you can look this up, uh, there were Jews, but not that many. Not that many in Ephesus compared to Corinth. Corinth was the more the epicenter. There were far, far, far more Jews in Corinth than there were in uh, Ephesus. And so, again, we've got the third and final, the only chapter on spiritual gifts in the Bible. This third one here, Ephesians chapter 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, um, pastors, teachers, no mention whatsoever about the gift of tongues. No mention whatsoever. Now I realize that other gifts are not mentioned as well. I realize that. But uh, when you stand back and you look at the gifts, the only one that was really bashed and abused and, and pretty much made a mockery, really, was tongues. That was the only one. There wasn't a problem with um, uh, the gift of giving, with the gift of uh, governments, with the gift of helps. There wasn't a problem with those things. You see, those aren't very showy, are they? But tongues sure were showy. And the pagans in the New Testament time, in Corinth, they showed off. That's what they did. Uh, the temple priestesses, they had their religious fornication and they spoke in tongues during their horrible business that they would do. Now here in this chapter, there are five gifts listed. Two of them are temporal, apostles and prophets. One of them is a repeat. That's the teachers. And so that leaves us two permanent gifts, evangelists and pastors. And so, out of the whole three chapters, we have 20 different gifts in total that are listed. 20. 11 of them are permanent gifts. Nine of them are temporal gifts. Tongues was a temporal gift in the New Testament and it was incredibly abused. Um, in a, uh, maybe, maybe we'll do it next, next Wednesday. We'll see. But I'm going to show you where the Bible talks about where tongues comes to an end. I'm going to show that to you. Not tonight. But tongues was, a, was a, a real gift in the New Testament times. Used as a sign to the Jews, but it was incredibly abused. And in the church of Corinth, the gift of tongues was a sign to certify that God, God's truth to the Jews, that uh, the Messiah had come. And they needed to repent and get right. And uh, bear in mind, remember, the Jews require a sign. 1 Corinthians 1.22 There was a lot more tongue speaking at Corinth than at Ephesus or at Rome. Once again, the city of Corinth, 400,000. Tremendous big percentage of Jews. The city of Rome, a million people. Very small. Uh, uh, percentage of Jews, if any. Ephesus, um, 200,000. Very small percentage of Jews. Um, let's see here. We'll go, to, um, we'll go back here to Acts chapter 19. 
just for another moment. Acts chapter 19. Here we go. And I want you to see this. In Acts chapter 19, so Paul is at Ephesus. And let's see here, verse 6, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, these are the, um, um, the, the men here. There were 12 of them. You see them in verse 7. The men were about 12. When Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And so you see, there was some tongues there because there were some Jews there. Tongues was a sign gift to the Jews. Tongues were a sign and evidence to the Jews that the gospel of Jesus Christ was real. That's what God used in the New Testament. They did not have the whole um, Bible. They had the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament. And as the New Testament years wore on, they would have had a couple of more uh, books added. And by the time you get to about 95 AD, something like that, that's when the last book of the New Testament was written, the book of Revelation. And there's the full 27 books of the New Testament plus the 39 books of the Old Testament gives us 66 books of the entire canon of Scripture, the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, 66 books. And before it was finished, God had several temporal gifts. They were used to help most of them. Uh, well, 10 out of the 11 were used for the, uh, the strengthening of the church. And then you have the gift of tongues that was used to um, try and reach the, the Jews. The Corinthian Christians greatly inflated the value of tongues. It's being done today. They were influenced by their previous pagan religious service. Now, the point is, Paul was greatly moved on his heart to write three chapters about the tongues. If it, if it wasn't causing a big problem, if they were just doing it and it wasn't causing a problem, I don't think he would have written three chapters. But the, the real problem was not so much the tongues, but what it was doing. I mean, yes, they were making shambles of a spiritual gift. Yes, they were. But it had a greater effect than that. Because what it was doing, it was destroying the unity and the beauty of that local church. Remember the two little old ladies? Well, these two little old ladies were a little bit zealous, you know, trying to tell others to get involved with the, uh, the tongues and things. And the man who was the pastor of that little church, and it was only a small church of maybe 30 people, something like that, he uh, learned about this and he knew one thing, that if it continued it was going to hurt the church. And he sat down with those two little old ladies. I only know this because seven years ago, when I finally caught up with him, uh, that's when I was saved for 40 years, and I finally found him. And, and I went and I uh, you know, embraced him. I found him. He was living out in Chilliwack. And so uh, we had a long talk, a couple of hours, just talking over things. And he told me about these two little old ladies. And I never knew this. I just found this out seven years ago. But he told me that he sat down with those two little old ladies and he said to them, listen, if you two keep pushing and persisting with tongues, it's going to split this church. Is that what you want? Are you wanting that? 
And they looked and they said, no, no, we don't want that at all. Then he said, please, keep it to yourself. And they did. I think he had the gift of exhortation. And those two little old ladies, they, they kept it to themselves and it never did split the church. Interesting. Churches are being split today over tongues. It's still happening. I think the devil is behind the church splitting. I don't think that it's a good thing. You look at the, um, a marriage, husband and wife, maybe there's some children. The devil doesn't like that. He'll try and get in there and he'll try and split that marriage and put husband against wife and, hus- and wife against husband and put thoughts in their head and bring in something, um, try and split them. He'll try and destroy that marriage. God wants marriages to stay together. God wants churches to be unified, stay together. Now we realize that sometimes God moves people to other cities and you know that does happen. But as a whole, the church needs to stay together. Just like the body needs to stay together. You wouldn't want to wake up one day and find your left arm missing. Hey, where's my left arm? Honey, have you seen my left arm? <laughs> oh, it left. <laughs> it, it decided that it wanted to go and, and you know, join up with another body. Well, that body's already got two arms. What's it going to do with a third arm? Well, it just doesn't like this body anymore. And unfortunately, we have a lot of that kind of thing happening amongst churches today. We have the, the devil trying to pull, pull things apart. The Lord is trying to keep us compacted and one in heart and one in spirit and soul and one in purpose and unity. And uh, the old devil is trying his best to try and break that apart. And he was using tongues in the New Testament in the book of uh, the church of Corinth to try and tear that church apart. And that's why I think Paul was really concerned was the effect that all of this was having on that, that church that he started. And so we're not done with the subject yet. There's still more theology we need to look at and more Bible examples and things. So God willing, we'll pick up that again next, next Wednesday, shall we? We'll put a stick in it right there. How about that for tonight? Heavenly Father. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Oh,